Thank you very much, Bob. Please turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 12. As you find your place there in John chapter 12, I just want to thank you for the privilege of having this opportunity to minister God's Word to you again. I tell you, the spring conference that we were here for just a, it seems like just the other day, just yesterday, it seems like to us, it was really a highlight of our week and also of our year, and we thank the Lord for that privilege too. Nancy sends her greetings. I told her this week is all boys. She can't come. So uh, after the message this afternoon, we're heading to boys camp. And again, as they mentioned, covet your prayers, not so much for me, but for the boys. And uh, we're going to have a good time. I'm also glad to have the uh, younger people. You don't mind being called younger people, do you? Yeah. I always, I don't want to say anything wrong, but usually when I stand up, the young people walk away. And they get to go out for another class and have some real fun. But I'm so glad you came back in. Thank you, Mark, for, for uh, bringing them in. I, you know, there's a wonderful portion in the Word of God. And it's in the Gospel of John chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. I'd like to read through verse 11, verses 1 through 11. I'm using the New King James translation. And as you can see, the theme or the title we're going to look at this morning is Lessons We Learn Around the Table. John chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Verse 3, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Verse 4, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Then Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Verse 9. Then a great many of the Jews that knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest took counsel that they might also put Lazarus to death. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And we trust that the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray once more. Father, how thankful we are that when we read in real life stories, the way that you worked through your son, the Lord Jesus, to bring people like us, to a saving knowledge of him. We pray that this would be the very same experience today, that those who hear that know not the Savior would put their trust in him today. And for those of us who are already seated around the table of fellowship, we pray that we might grow to appreciate more of what it means to know him who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Now, maybe when you saw the title, Lessons We Learn Around the Table, you were thinking of some lessons you've learned around the table growing up, like wash your hands before you come to supper, huh? or uh, take all you want, eat all you take. That was my favorite. I was part of the Clean Platers Club. Huh? Uh, <clears throat> don't talk with food in your mouth. You know, these are good lessons at the table at home, but that's not the kind of lessons we're talking about today. You can rest assured. But the lessons we're going to talk about learning today come from real people. In fact, I'm counting six different lessons that we learn around the table at Bethany. And each one of the lessons come from an individual or from a group of people. Uh, people like Lazarus and Martha and Mary and Judas. When I say Judas, I expect to hear hissing. <laughs> okay? And uh, from the Lord Jesus himself and even from the whole great multitude of people. And so we're going to learn some important lessons. And each one, I am hoping and praying that we'll be able to relate and say, I've learned that lesson. And check it off our list and say, I don't want to forget this as long as I live. Because these are, again, more than lessons you learned around your table at home. But these are eternal lessons that will count forever. And so as we look at the first lesson today, we come to the lesson... The first one, a lesson from Lazarus, and whenever I think about Lazarus, knowing his story, it is indeed one of the most exciting stories in the New Testament. Now, everybody's an example. Huh? I remember somebody saying, you know, you could be an example. You could be a bad example. Everybody's an example. But it's true in the Bible that every person we read about in the Bible, they're put there as examples for us to learn from their experience, and that learning process is still going on. And so one example is not more important than another. Each one is very important to us. And when we start with Lazarus, I tell you, we're starting with really a, a very important example because we can relate to Lazarus in a few different ways. And each of those ways that come before us today are right there before us in verses one and two. Look at the very first thing we learn about Lazarus in verse one. I'll read the verse again. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, and that happens to be the hometown for Lazarus and his two sisters, remember, Martha and Mary. But it says where Lazarus was, that's his hometown in Bethany, and the first thing we learn about Lazarus is it says, who had been dead. Now, I like the, the tense of that and all the ways about the grammar, but it helps us to say, I can relate to Lazarus who had been dead. Why? Well, because the Bible says, and I want to show you where, a few places, but just one place I'll show you. If you hold your place in John chapter 12, slip over to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. And in Ephesians chapter 2, you'll notice it in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, you're going to have your Bible open in two places. And we're not going to be double-minded about this. But in two places, and we're going to jump back and forth to those two places. It's almost like Ephesians chapter 2 is a parallel to the life of Lazarus. And so it's almost like you have the actor or the person that we learn from in John 12 and the doctrine that backs up the principle that we learn in Ephesians 2. 
And I believe that's, the, that's God's pattern. He gives a person that gives us the drama lived out, and he gives us the doctrine that gives us the principle that we put into place. And so from Lazarus, who had been dead, look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So I can relate to Lazarus, and if you know the Lord is your Savior, and even if you don't, you can relate to Lazarus because the Bible says everyone on planet Earth is dead in trespasses and sins. Now the difference is made when we trust Christ, we're going to see in a moment, we're raised and walking in the newness of life. But hold on, don't let me get ahead of myself. Just think for a moment, dead in our trespasses and sins. Why? Why was Lazarus one who had been dead, and why are we dead in our trespasses and sins? Well, because, you see, through Adam and Eve, and chiefly through Adam, who sinned and rebelled against the Lord from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world through Adam, and along with sin, death by sin, and death spread to the entire human race because all have sinned. And so you see, the wages of sin is death. And since we've all sinned, then we're all dead. That's a pretty serious thing, isn't it? I mean, we're talking the entire human race, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I knew that verse before I was saved from Romans 3.23. But whenever I quoted it before I was saved, you know what I used to think? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I, I didn't think about it being me, you know? And uh, one finger pointing out, three fingers pointing back, that included me, all. And it's a wonderful, important lesson is the same as Lazarus died physically, we are dead spiritually, separated from God, and only one thing can make the difference. But let me tell you what it was. Go back to John 12. Now, don't lose Ephesians 2. We'll be right back. It says in verse 1, Lazarus, who had been dead, and then it tells us the next step, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, this is where only those who believe can identify with Lazarus. I'm hoping 100% here. But if not, don't let me assume a very dangerous assumption. Because if you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, then you can only relate to Lazarus up to that point of death. You're dead in trespasses and sins. But I've got good news for you. God doesn't want you to stay dead. He wants to make you alive. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we read it in verse 1. It's in italics in the very first phrase of verse 1 of Ephesians 2. For it says, and you he made alive. It's almost like Paul as he writes, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He wants to get the good news before the bad news. But if you go to the doctor and he says, I got good news and I got bad news, which do you want first? What do you say? Give me the bad news first. I want to end on an up note. But Paul, he gives us a little clue in verse 1. But he comes down, if you'll notice it, in verse 5 of Ephesians 2, he explains how. Ephesians 2, 5 says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. How? Look in the parenthesis here in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. 
I have to tell you, I'm still on North Carolina time. And so uh, this is about my afternoon nap time right now. But at 3 a.m. this morning, I woke startled thinking, I've overslept. And I looked at the clock and it said 3 a.m. I mean, that would be 6 a.m. I'm, I'm almost always up before 6 a.m. But when I woke up at 3 a.m., I thought, where can I get my cup of coffee? And there's no coffee to be found at that time of the morning. So I went back to sleep. Woke up at 5 a.m., startled again. Have I overslept? No, it's only 5. So I got on up. No coffee still. What do I do? So I pulled out my iPhone and said, where's the nearest Starbucks? And so I, it was only a 10-minute walk. I used the first time in my life I used Google Maps for how to walk somewhere. I mean, I felt so strange. And then I got to thinking, if it can get me there, can it walk me back home again? So I stopped where I was and said, how do I get back to the Western Assembly's home? And you know, it picked it right up. So I said, I'm safe. I walked 10 minutes and went into Starbucks, and I don't quite know what to order. I just wanted a cup of coffee. I said, I want the biggest coffee you got. They even told me what it was, but I don't remember now. And while I was in there, a man said, uh, you're up early this morning. I said, you don't know the whole story. I was up three hours ago <laughs> and got to talking to him. I told him I'm a preacher from North Carolina. And you know, it opened up a great conversation. But the conversation has to always lead us to what it means to be dead in our sins and the good news is Christ has made us alive when we put our trust in him. If you know the Lord is your savior, you not only relate to Lazarus as being dead, but as being raised from the dead. Isn't it great to be alive today? Even if it's 3 a.m. <laughs> Everybody else is asleep and you're wide awake because you're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. Now you are alive, made alive. He's quickened us. He's made us alive together with Christ. The same as Christ died, we died. The same as he was buried, we've been buried. The same as he was raised from the dead, we relate just like Lazarus to the risen Savior. And so we're raised, made alive with Christ. But there's something more. Don't lose Ephesians yet, but go back to John chapter 12. So you got both passages going. Look in verse 2, it says, this is John 12, verse 2. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus, and here's what we're looking for, Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Sat at the table with him. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and look if you will. Not only in verse 1 where we were dead in trespasses, and in verse 5 where he has made us alive, but now our third step in verse 6, he's raised us up, that's what we're talking about, and look at the rest of verse 6. And he made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. He has seated us at the table. And the same as Lazarus, we relate to him death, burial, resurrection, and seated at the table. And that's going to be the lesson we're going to learn from Lazarus this morning. What does it mean to be seated at the table? Well, it means fellowship. Here we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, relating in every way to Lazarus, dead in our trespasses and sins, buried, raised again, given new life in Christ, and that's just the beginning. It gets better from here on out, all the way home to heaven. We're enjoying fellowship 
with the Lord around the supper table. That's really what a table reminds us of, isn't it? You know, great the joy when Christians eat, I mean, meet. Christian fellowship, how sweet. Food just goes hand in hand together with fellowship. And all the saints said, amen. That's true, isn't it? When do we eat? Well, take a moment and go over in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. And let me just mention to you that John, he enjoyed fellowship. And I'm sure he remembered this table. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, he writes his experience. And as he draws his experience from his gospel, the gospel of John, chapter 12, I have no doubt he's thinking about this. Because he says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Now that's writing from his experience, isn't it? That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. How did he know that fellowship? Think of all the times you've enjoyed Christian fellowship. And I guarantee you there's a meal somewhere in there. In fact, come down just a few verses in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. In verse 7, can I just remind you for a moment that Lazarus, when he was raised from the dead... The first thing that the Lord said about Lazarus, giving a command to those who stood there by his open tomb, he said, loose him and let him go. And the only thing we can come from that knowing is that Lazarus was now unbound from all of those grave clothes and he was free to walk and to go. Walking in the newness of life. Do you know that first step he took? It was a brand new step. Huh? That's the way believers should be in our walk in the Lord. One thing that's interesting before I read verse 7 of 1 John chapter 1 is that Lazarus never spoke a word that is recorded in Scripture. Now, I'm sure he had a lot to say. No doubt he could tell the tale that no one else could tell. But we never read a recorded statement of Lazarus. And we're going to find out what an important witness and testimony he had. Why? Just the way he walked and the way he sat at the table with him. So it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 3 is we have fellowship with God through his Son. And 1 John 1, 7 is we have fellowship with one another because of his Son. And let me just ask you, can you relate to Lazarus? Have you learned your lesson of fellowship? Death, burial, resurrection, seated at the table with him and enjoying fellowship with God the Father through God the Son, the Lord Jesus and enjoying fellowship with one another. Well, I know I'm preaching to the choir here because we're enjoying fellowship together. But that is an important lesson that some believers are missing out on. You know, the Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. I tell you, there are some dark days approaching before the day that is approaching. 
and we need fellowship more now than ever, and it's going to be on the increase from here on out. Learn the lesson of fellowship. Don't lose it. Hold on to it. And it's an important lesson we learn from Lazarus. But there's another lesson to learn. Let's go back to John chapter 12. And there we read in verse 2 of the second one that's going to teach us a lesson. Her name is Martha. Well, in verse 2 it says, There they made him a supper. There where? Well, there in Bethany. But it's not at Martha and Mary and Lazarus's house. Rather, it's at the house of one, Simon the leper, who obviously was healed of his leprosy. We don't read the details in John, but the other Gospels give us the details. But here we read that Martha served. So she must have prepared the meal, brought it over to Simon the leper's house, and there she's going to serve at the table where the Lord Jesus is at. So we're going to learn the lesson about service. It's an important lesson to learn. In fact, it's a lesson that Martha had to learn because one time before... She had served as well. Well, actually, she didn't serve as well. She served not very well. Let's say it this way. Martha served before with an attitude. You know what that means, don't you? She was sporting a tube. All right? She served with an attitude. That means a bad attitude, all right? Now she's serving with a good attitude. When she served with a bad attitude, it was back in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, Verses 38 through 42, she was serving the Lord and his disciples, his followers, and she was overwhelmed with all the service. And she looked down into the living room, and there was Mary sitting down on the floor, or a footstool at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. And Martha had all she could take. It got the best of her. I mean, there was lumps in the gravy, the bread was burning. The table needed to be set. And where is someone to help? And there's Martha in there. She went storming in with her apron on. She said, Lord, don't you care? That's a terrible thing to ask the Lord who cares so well. Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. I mean, she not only was accusing the Lord of not caring, she was commanding the Lord, get Martha, get Mary on the ball here. And you know what the Lord did? He said, Martha, Martha. You know, when he calls your name twice, you're in trouble. Huh? That's called an attitude adjustment. <laughs> and he's going to straighten her out. Well, we heard about it this morning early. Abraham, Abraham called his name twice. Jacob he called twice. Samuel he called twice. Saul he called twice. Simon he called twice. I tell you, when the Lord calls your name twice, Moses, Moses, you know you better wake up and listen. Martha, Martha, you're troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And she learned her lesson. So here, what is she doing? She's serving not with an attitude. She's serving with what? Gratitude. You knew it was coming, didn't you? An attitude of gratitude. Now, that's the lesson we learn on how to serve the Lord. What is the key to serving with gratitude? The Lord Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew chapter 25. If you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Whoever gives a, cold, a cup of cold water, you've done it for me. I got a letter from the chaplain's department at the hospital a while back. And at the bottom of the letter, 
It said, try seeing everyone you serve today as if you're looking at God in disguise. That'll make a difference, won't it? You know, Martha, when she had an attitude, she was serving people. But when she had gratitude, she was serving the Lord. And that's all we read about Martha. You know why? Because if you're serving with gratitude, you don't want anything said about you. It just simply says in John 12, 2, and Martha served. I know people, I know them here as well as at home, who will do something for the Lord and no one knows about it. And you know what they tell me if I find out what they've done? They say, now don't announce this. Because <laughs> I like to announce it and just thank them publicly. They say, don't say a thing. Why? Well, because they've done it as unto the Lord. And it's, that's the right attitude, isn't it? That's gratitude speaking loudly, serving. We learn an important lesson from Mary. Usually, whenever we read John 12, in these first few verses, we focus immediately on Mary. In fact, I looked at the choice gleaning calendar today. Do you get the choice gleaning calendar? I see a few heads nodding. If you nod too many times, I'll get scared. But if you read the choice gleaning calendar this morning, let me just read it to you. I, I usually don't read publicly these things, but I'm going to today because to me, early this morning when I pulled it out of my suitcase, I thought, there's the confirmation on the message today. It's from John 12, 7, and it says, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. And Warren Henderson wrote, Mary anointed the Lord's feet with a costly ointment. Some objected to the waste, yet the Lord commended her selfless act of understanding. With the Sabbath approaching, she knew there would be no opportunity to prepare his body for burial later. Lazarus and the disciples sat with the Lord and Martha served, but Mary worshipped. I'm telling you this so you know I didn't get my message from choice cleaning. I brought it with me from home, all right? He goes on to say, all had the same revelation and the same Savior, but only Mary showed her appreciation. She teaches us that fellowship, that was point number one, and service, that was point number two, and knowing God's word are not the same as worship fostered in self-abasing love. He finished with a nice little hymn that says, I love thee, I love thee, Lord, as thou dost know, but how much I love thee, my actions will show. So what is the lesson we learn from Mary? You know what it is. Right there in verse 3 it says, Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. The lesson we learn around the table from Mary is one of worship. Worship. It's our eternal and highest occupation. But when we see it come from Mary, she really teaches us by her actions what it means to worship. A number of years ago, I was teaching on worship in our local assembly. And one of the men said, would you give us a definition of worship? I was caught completely off guard. How do you define worship? And I said, that's a difficult question because it's such a full definition. He wasn't showing me any mercy. He said, if you can't define it, we can't do it. 
What does it mean? I said, you know, the only thing I can say to you is that Mary is the best definition I know of worship. Literally, the word worship or worshiped is translated from the expression to fall prostrate before the Lord, like the wise men, like Mary. Did you notice, Mary, that she, she bowed so low and she anointed his feet? That's prostrate before the Lord. And you may not be able to put it into words. It has to be put into actions. What's the old saying? It's better felt than telt. Well, it's true, isn't it? You look at Mary, and when it came to her worship, the first thing we see is extravagance. You can't give too much in worship, but you have to give something. You'll never overgive. When it comes to worship, give him what? Your best, the most. And it tells us in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Now, I wonder if you men gave your wife a gift for Valentine's Day to show her that you love her. If you gave her perfume, did anybody get a pound of perfume for Valentine's Day? I mean, a whole pound? Technically, it's 12 ounces. No, I like the, the one that is written so small, it's .00067 huh? Huh? of an ounce. Well, you know, to go a whole pound, that's extravagance, isn't it? Because that's exactly what... Mary gave a whole pound of very costly, I mean, the Spirit of God wouldn't even put a price tag on it. We're going to see in a moment somebody puts a price tag on it. But when it came to the Spirit of God, he says, we're just going to say this is very costly. It meant something. You know, David, he teaches us about worship. When he went to offer a sacrifice, and every time we read about worship, that's something I learned. There's always a sacrifice or an offering involved. Because when he went to the threshing floor of Aruna, there at the mount called Moriah, on the Temple Mount now, Aruna saw the, saw the king coming, and he was coming to offer a sacrifice. He said, David, there's oxen, uh, there's the wood, there's a sacrifice. And David said, no, I will not offer to the Lord that which cost me nothing. And he bought it all. Not only bought the sacrifice, bought the place to offer the sacrifice. Why? Because it had to cost him something. Mary, she said, I'm going to the very fullest extreme I can go. And in the extravagance of a gift, she took a whole pound of spikenard. Uh, the book of Mark says she broke the flask. You know, when you break it, you can't get it back in there. Uh, not only that, but uh, the uh, book of Matthew says she poured it out on his head. She held nothing back. She put the whole pound there before him. She didn't say, like sometimes we do, I better hang on to some of this. I'll hold something back. Not Mary. She gave it all. It must have been important because she didn't use it on her brother. She kept it for the Lord and in that extravagance. The other thing we see in verse 3 is she went all the way down and anointed his feet. You see the true expression of worship as well as the extravagance. In humility, she went as low as she could go. When I was in the airport at Phoenix on the way over, uh, you know the airports are packed these days, and the airplanes are too. Just glad to get a seat on there. And at the airport, 
People were eating, you know, they got all the different kinds of food, and they usually get it and either take it on the plane or they eat it in between planes. And there was a whole group of young people and a couple of adults who were obviously the chaperones, and they all had green shirts on. And on the green shirts, they had some insignia and a little thing written that said, an, an act of humility can change the world. And an H was spelled with three nails as kind of a little logo. And so they were all sitting on the floor eating. And I mean, it was a big group. And so I, I stooped down on my knee and I asked one of the chaperones, I said, are you eating on the floor because of humility? <laughs> they said, no, because there's no seats. <laughs> you know, that's quite a testimony, isn't it? Three nails making the letter H. An act of humility can change the world. Now, it's not the humility of our service. There's one who's gone lower than we will ever go. Hmm? The Lord Jesus, he humbled himself and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He went lower than anyone will ever go. So if we stoop in humility, we're not going very far down, are we? To go to his feet, he's gone lower still. You remember the little poem, Wouldest thou be chief and lowly serve? Wouldest thou go up and go down, but go as high as you will? The lower has been lower still. He went all the way down to death and the death of the cross. For Mary to stoop down, it was an expression of humility. But not to draw attention to herself like some of us do. Some of I do. Huh? But she did it because she knew what he was about to do. And there was none so humble as he, the Lord Jesus, Mary. She's just expressing her heart. He's gone that low for me. I'll go as low as I can for him. But know that he goes even lower still. We see her at his feet every time, sitting at his feet, listening to his word, falling at, her, at his feet whenever her brother Lazarus had died, needing comfort, and now bowing at his feet in worship. But then notice one more thing. It tells us at the end of verse 3 in her worship, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil, the effectiveness of her worship. Everything in that house and everyone in that house could smell the fragrance of the spikenard. You know, that's what worship does. It permeates. We're a fragrance of Christ just from our worship of him this morning. And we go out remembering the things, and I believe it's going to show in our life. Mary teaches us an important lesson, but now we've got, a, we've got another lesson. It's a lesson we learn from Judas. Let's hear that. I heard, I heard it. All right. You, you know, you've got to tie the beginning of the message in with the end of the message. Because even Judas teaches us a lesson. You consider the source and ignore it? Don't. Because the lesson he's going to teach us is the worth of the Lord Jesus. You can learn something from anybody, even the betrayer, because it tells us in verse 4 that one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son who would betray him, said in verse 5, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, the commentary that John gives in verse 6 is he identifies Judas and what he said. He was, a, he was the epitome of hypocrisy, wasn't he? 
He only said this because he was a thief and he wanted to put in more in the money box because he used to take from the money box. But we can learn a lesson from Judas. Judas said, why this waste? And you know, that kind of hypocrisy is contagious. Because not only Judas says in John, but in the other Gospels, Matthew and Mark and Luke, the other disciples, they were sucked right into the hypocrisy, and they all, it says, and they were indignant that Mary would have given this precious ointment of spikenard to anoint the Lord's body when it could have been sold and given to the poor. And he put a price tag on it, and this is where we learn our lesson. He said it could have been sold for 300 denarii. Now here's my question. What is the Lord worth to us? I mean, Mary came with a whole pound. But when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and took the body of the Lord Jesus down from the cross, do you remember they came not with a pound of spice? They came with a hundred pounds of spices, aloes, cassia, and they prepared his body for burial. What's he worth to us? Mary said he's worth a whole pound. Joseph and Nicodemus said, he's worth a hundred times that. To Judas, he said, Mary brought something worth 300 denarii. But when Judas went to the chief priest to sell out the Lord, he said, he's only worth a tenth of that. Give me 30. What's he worth to us? Listen, he's worth everything to us. He is the one who is worthy. And we'll find all creation below and above, that will agree with what the Father has set in setting his seal, seal on the Savior, he is worthy of all of the ascriptions given to his name. But you know, we have another lesson to learn. It's a lesson that we learn from the Lord Jesus himself. This lesson, you'll see it in verse 7. Then Jesus said, let her alone. It's a lesson about honor, and I want to explain what I mean. The Lord comes to her defense. Honor is the protection of his own people. Do you remember back in Exodus when Pharaoh kept hardening his heart and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart? And the Lord said, I will gain honor from Pharaoh and from all his army even from his chariots and the horsemen when I cast them into the sea and I'm going to gain honor from Pharaoh. Why? Because God protected his people and brought them through the Red Sea on dry land. But when Pharaoh's army went down into the sea, the sea covered them up and destroyed the entire army. And God received honor, what? By protecting his people. I'm glad he has honor in protecting us. And so when Mary was being criticized for her worship, why this waste? No. Wow, what worship? The Lord Jesus honored Mary by coming to her rescue. And he said, let her alone, in verse 7. She has kept this for the day of my burial. You know, he not only protected her, but he made a promise. It's not in the Gospel of John, but it's in the Gospel of Matthew. Do you know what he said? Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman, Mary, has done, 
will be spoken as a memorial to her. That's quite a prom promise, isn't it? I mean, talk about honor. Here's the principle. Uh, right there in the Gospel of John chapter 12, this is the principle. It's found all the way over in John chapter 12, verse 26. And here's what it says. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. Notice this, John 12, 26. The last sentence of the verse says, If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. Now, we spell honor, H-O-N-O-R. But the old King James spells it H-O-N-O-U-R. I was troubled by that until Jabe told me, he said, you know, when the Lord wants to honor someone, he won't leave you out. Make sure you learn the lesson from the Lord on honor. You'll notice in John chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, we have one more lesson, and it's a lesson from the people. Anybody here people watchers? Clock watchers, I know, but people watchers? Uh, we're all people watchers, aren't we? And uh, we learn a lot from watching people. I love it. In the airports, at the malls, at church. Watch the people. You'll learn a lesson, huh? What do we learn from the people here? Well, in verse 9, it says, there were a great many of the Jews there. Now, remember, Lazarus, we don't have any recorded words. No talk, just walk. But he had such a testimony, we're going to learn the lesson of witness. And the lesson of witness is there were a great many of the Jews that knew that he, that's the Lord Jesus, was there. And they came. But they didn't come just for Jesus' sake. They came also, verse 9 tells us, to see Lazarus. They wanted to see him. Talk about people watchers. They heard that he had died, buried, raised again. They wanted to see him. Do you know people want to see you in your life too? If you're watching people, you know what that means, don't you? People are watching you. Now, we don't get over, overwrought about that, do we? We just pray, Lord, when they look at me, help them to see you in me. And I think that's what they saw in Lazarus. Not only do we see the Jews that teach us this lesson, but in verse 10 it says the chief priests, well, they had already taken counsel not only how to put Jesus to death, they wanted to put Lazarus to death as well. When you have such a witness that you're put on their hit list, you know you got a testimony, huh? Are you on the hit list yet? That's what we need to strive to do. Lord, help them to see the beauty of Jesus in me so much that like Lazarus, I'll be a witness they want to silence huh? and put me to death as well. I haven't gotten there, obviously, but that's where Lazarus was at. What a witness he had. And lastly, it says, because on account of him, that's verse 11, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. What a witness he had for people watchers to see. Someone wrote in a commentary, every assembly needs a Lazarus, <laughs> a real, live, living, walking, should I add talking, example of one who had been raised from the dead and walking in the newness of life, a soul set free. Boy, wouldn't that be great? It's the truth. Every one of us who know the Lord right here at Claremont Bible Chapel 
can be that kind of witness. Because we learn all these lessons on fellowship, on service, on worship, on worth, on honor, and on witness. And we learn them all around the table. That's making me hungry. How about you? Let's be hungry for more of him. Shall we close in a word of prayer? Father, how thankful we are that when we see these lessons in real life, that we can learn the lessons and put them into practice. Help us to relate to each one, that we learn our lessons well. And from this point in our lives, we go out and put these things into practice. We thank you, not only for all those around that table, but especially for the one who has captured our attention this morning, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's at the head of our table, and he's at the very heart of our fellowship. May we worship him in the way we live and walk and talk, we pray. Lord, we pray that if any are here and they do not know the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior, speak to their heart even now. Give them the courage to ask and find out, what must I do to be saved? And Lord, we pray that you would save souls nearest hell today, here and in every place where the gospel is proclaimed. We pray this in the name of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.